The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I'm honored to welcome my guest, Amy Mondlock. She's been a community organizer and activist since the early 1990s. Her work began as a student at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point with a successful effort to stop the Crandon Mine. From there, she moved to Tennessee, where she worked to save our Cumberland Mountains, helping to protect 62,000 acres of the Fall Creek Falls State Park from strip mining. Her work brought her back to Wisconsin, where she helped found and served as executive director for the Grassroots Leadership College. Now she calls northern Minnesota home, where she is the first organizer working for the Toxic Taters Coalition. Welcome, Ms. Mondlock. It's an honor to have you. I'm really excited to get to talk to you today, Melinda. Well, my question, I think, first should be, what is the Toxic Taters Coalition, and how did you get started with it? Well, the Toxic Taters Coalition is simply a group of people in northern Minnesota who have been dealing with the effects of pesticide drift and other concerns from RDOFIT, RDO, which is the largest potato grower in the world. They have about 50,000 acres of potatoes here in Minnesota. And people who live around their fields simply got tired of having to deal with the pesticides and decided that it was time to stand up. And they started organizing and started working with the Pesticide Action Network, which is an international organization concerned about pesticides. And they became the Toxic Taters Coalition and decided that they needed to hire some staff and invited me to come and work with them. And so we've been really building up the campaign and trying hard to get RDO to change how it's growing its potatoes. So about one year ago, I interviewed Robert Schimmick. And Robert Schimmick was living in the region and describing that he was using pesticide drift catchers by the local elementary school. And discovering that there was pesticide drift that would be entering into the school, he described how children in the region were becoming ill. They were seeing childhood cancers that they had never seen before. And he had made an honest and important, I think, attempt, repeated attempts, to contact the Department of Health in Minnesota, to contact the Department of Agriculture, and that didn't seem to result in any action. Can you talk a little bit about what happened before you got there? Sure. Uh, The community that Bob was talking with you about was Pine Point, and that's right on the White Earth Indian Reservation, which is where the Toxic Taters has its office located. And Pine Point is a, a fairly small community, only about 250 people, and a very low-income community. There's not very many jobs in the area. Many folks are, are driving quite a distance to get to any work. And the community is surrounded on three sides by potato fields. So they've been dealing with, with drift for a long time. It's one of the first areas in Minnesota where where RDO started growing potatoes back in the 1960s. 
At that point, RDO was growing potatoes every year. So eventually, by the 1980s, the land was simply worn out and the waters were poisoned. And RDO had to move to getting best management practices and started moving to a longer rotation. Now RDO is using a three- to four-year rotation in most of the state, but the problems are still there. And there's a great deal of disease that we see in the Pine Point area. A lot of folks who are dealing with, with cancers, who are dealing with birth defects, who are dealing with a lot of the other physical effects of being in an area where there's a lot of pesticide use, where there's a lot of pesticide drift. And we're working with that community to try to figure out how to address that. And we're seeing that happening in other communities as well. Even though that we're not operating on the every year potatoes anymore, that they're now, as I said, on a three to four year rotation, it's still a problem um, because those pesticides are out there because they, they don't simply go away very quickly. They'll drift for up to half a mile away from the fields where they're being sprayed. And when they're being sprayed, they get sprayed about once every week during the growing season. The homes, the schools, the farms around that area, you'll see folks having issues where they may have a hard time breathing, they may be becoming nauseous, they'll, they'll have many of the short-term effects. Over the longer term, we start to see some of the, the effects like the cancers, like the, the neuromuscular issues, the birth defects, things like that. Where Bob was working, they were putting, we were building the new school and putting in the green systems there. And he was looking across the, the road and seeing there's a potato field right there. You know, we're putting in all of these systems to make sure that this school is going to be safe for these kids to go to. And all of these pesticides are going to be coming right in, right in through the ventilation system. And it became a huge concern for him. And that's how he got involved and how he helped start Toxic Taters at that time. So our fight is continuing, and right there in that community right now, we're we're working with Honor the Earth to uh, do a community health study, and we're also bringing in the the, uh, pesticide coordinator from the White Earth Indian Reservation to help teach folks what to do when pesticide drift affects them. This is one of the big concerns that we have here in Minnesota is that a lot of people are afraid to do anything when they are affected by drift. So we're trying to change that around because it's really important that people report it when drift happens to them so that the pesticide coordinator on the reservation or the Department of Agriculture knows that these incidents are happening and that they get the reports so that something can be done about them. So does the Department of Agriculture send an investigator out every time there's a problem? They are supposed to send an investigator out every time that there's a problem. They don't always do that. They will have a conversation with the individual that they speak to. If they feel like there's really nothing in that conversation, then they may not. But they really are supposed to be sending someone out to every concern. But we just learned recently that they generally get about 150 complaints a year. We find that hard to believe that that's the number of complaints that there are out there because every time that we're going out and meeting with people, every time that, that I'm tabling at an event in the community, I'm hearing multiple stories from folks that they have been affected, that they know someone who's been affected. 
the stories are out there over and over again. And then we're also hearing that people are afraid to call the Department of Ag or they feel like they're not going to get responded to. So we're really working hard right now to get people to make those calls and trying to work with the Department of Ag to get the information out there on what to do. It's important for people in our communities to call them and also to put in a written report. In Minnesota, it's a law that there has to be a written report whenever there's an incidence of pesticide drift. And what happens to those written reports? That's a really good question that we're trying to find the answer to right now. Yeah. That's something that we really want to know and want to have a better understanding of. Right at this point, we don't have a real clear knowledge of what's happening to them. We want to get a better understanding of who's being affected, where are those incidents all happening, so that we can really track down RDO and really show this is where the incidents are happening. This is what you need to do because it's it's you that's doing it. We know anecdotally that it's RDO behind these incidents, but right now the Department of Agriculture has the information on the details that we need to get. Now, you mentioned something interesting to me. You said that the individuals living in the community are afraid to do anything. Why do you think they're afraid? Where does that come from? Well, I think it it comes from a, a number of things. I think the biggest one is that RDO is a major player in in our area. They employ a lot of people. Mm. Um, They are a major economic influence. And many of the people who they they rent from, you know, that's the person's neighbor who they're renting from, you know, and that, that is affecting them. And nobody wants to be on bad terms with their neighbor. I think also that folks have heard the stories that if they call the Department of Ag, nothing's going to happen, and nobody wants to go through that bureaucracy and not get anything out of it and become known as the troublemaker in the community. So we're doing what we're able to do to provide the support system and to make it a less scary experience for people to go through. It's interesting because I know that you have a background your college degree is in a combination of psychology and philosophy. So you're in a very good position to understand the psychology behind this. Well, I don't want to make my neighbor angry. On the one hand, everyone wants to feel like they have a sound and strong community base. But at the same time, when our children are getting sick, that's a tough place to be in. And I wonder if you could address a little bit about the psychology of where people are, and what is the best strategy to use psychologically to help people move from a place of fear to a place of action? Sure. I think it's a lot of what we're doing right now, which is really going out and having those conversations, being there. We do a lot of tabling at events, just getting the information out there, and really having those you know, oftentimes very short conversations with people who are willing to stop by and sign our petition or pick up a brochure, just make that initial step. It makes them feel as if they've done something and they realize that other people have done that something. Another thing that that Toxic Taters is in the process of, of getting started right now is our video storytelling project. 
where we are having folks who are willing to tell their stories about having been affected by drift and taking the videos, putting those online, going to be sharing those via social media later on this summer and, and this fall. Getting those stories out there makes it possible for other people to feel like they're not the only ones. Mm-hmm. I think that's really going to be building what we're able to do because once someone is willing to share their story, then there's someone else that says, I'm not the only one. That happened to somebody else. I can do this too. We've got some really strong people who have been involved in our group, people who have lost livestock, people who have gotten ill and just got tired of it and decided, I need to do something. And when they go out and talk to other people, it's really amazing how quickly they find other people who say, you know, that happened to me too, and they're willing to to get involved. Yeah, so maybe the community, they find that they have a new strong community with others who share their losses. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned something about how the Offit company is a big employer. They have a big economic influence. I'm sure they have an economic influence in the legislature as well. I'm assuming that. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But I wonder, when we are doing our our financial records, we see that individuals are employed by this company, But is anybody doing what I like to call full-cost accounting and taking into account the cost incurred by individuals when they become ill? You know, I don't think we've really seen that. not seen it to to its fullest extent. I think that's a really important question to be covered because what we do see is that there are definitely problems within the plant um, of folks having to deal with health concerns there, as well as the people who are dealing with health concerns around the fields and the concerns that we are looking at down the line as they continue to expand in our state and we see the when we will undoubtedly see the water levels dropping in the aquifer in which they're expanding and see concerns around the drinking water that the DNR here has told us maybe going as far down as, as the Twin Cities, which is over 200 miles away from where they're where they're looking to farm. Hmm. Listeners, if you're just joining us, you are tuned in to Food Sleuth Radio, and we are speaking with Amy Monlock. She is the first organizer working for the Toxic Taters Coalition in Minnesota. Well, I'd like to get back to this issue of economic influence, if I might, for a moment, because my background is public health. I'm very much concerned about the costs that we don't account for with regard to cancer, with regard to birth defects, with regard to even lost days at school or work due to illness. So school districts lose money. The whole community loses when we have ill citizens. And I think that at least it's my understanding that when someone has an illness and goes to, say, a county health clinic or their doctor's office, that there is an accounting of that illness or a record-keeping of that, and ultimately it's the the State Department of Health that compiles those records and then sends them to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And I'm wondering if you've had any conversations with authorities at the State Department of Health and then also with the CDC. Mm -hmm. I have not. If Todd Spectators has, it's been before I was involved. 
So, yeah, I, I think that that's another important area for us to continue to grow in and something that we've been looking at and trying to, to figure out how we can can build in that area because it definitely is something of major concern. I know that we have done a fair amount of work trying to to build our connection to, to local health officials mm-hmm. because we know that, that many of them don't recognize pesticide drift issues and don't know how to deal with those. So we'd really like to build in that area because we feel that it's important for our local health officials to be able to recognize what it is that they're seeing and being able to support us and being able to report when drift is occurring and being able to support those folks who are coming in saying, I've been affected by pesticide drift and being able to to simply say, yeah, it looks like you have. Right. Um, rather than, than telling them, no, it's something else, when they don't necessarily know that to be true at all. You know, that's a very important point that you just made. I was recently at a Beyond Pesticides meeting, and one of the physicians was talking about having an accounting of what the symptoms are that are related to pesticide poisoning. And you're right in that. Many times, healthcare providers are not trained to recognize them. And so just mm-hmm. just raising the awareness of what the symptoms are due to exposure to some of these pesticides may be important when we bring communities together and, and have these discussions. Yeah, I definitely, definitely think that it is. I think as we can build those connections, I think that's going to be a really exciting piece for us um, to be expanding how the community is looking at the pesticide issue. Oftentimes, I think it's still framed as an environmental issue, and it is an environmental issue, but it's definitely a health issue. It's an economic issue. It's a food issue. We have a growing organic field within Minnesota, and many of our organic farmers are very concerned about the pesticide issue because when the pesticide drift comes into their fields, they lose their certification. They can't sell their food because it's no longer organic. So there are many different concerns around the pesticides that we're doing all that we can to build it, to bring in those multiple different stakeholders uh, looking at the issue and, and addressing the issue. Now, the R.D. Offit company sells their potatoes to McDonald's. And I don't think that all of their potatoes go to McDonald's. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the major supplier of the potatoes used for McDonald's French fries are from RDO. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. And RDO does supply to quite a few other entities as well. But McDonald's is one of their their major places that they supply to and, and has been a target for us because everyone knows the name McDonald's. Most people outside of this small area of Minnesota have never heard of RDO. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've we've found it very helpful, very important for our campaign to to look at McDonald's and to try to pressure McDonald's to pressure their suppliers, particularly RDO, to change how they're growing their potatoes. Well, I, for one, as a dietitian and a consumer, every chance I get, I ask McDonald's to please provide an organic Happy Meal. You know, when we talk about vulnerable populations, children, of course, are more susceptible to the effects of pesticide residues. And so from my perspective, 
getting these mommy bloggers and these organizations of mothers who are so vocal and so active on social media to make a demand on the fast food industry from whom we buy our meals, or at least some of us do, to ask them to change their agricultural methods, to ask for that organic Happy Meal, could change the lives or have such a tremendous ripple effect for children, not only our own children, but for children in these rural communities where these sprays are being used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, McDonald's is in a very interesting spot right now, I think. I mean, they are definitely struggling in many ways, and I think they could really turn things around if they were to look at how can they really be sustainable in all aspects of what they do, offering that organic Happy Meal, offering that $15 wage to their workers, and changing how they are growing their potatoes. As I had mentioned to you before the show, we did get to go down to the McDonald's shareholder meeting uh, recently, and we had three proxies uh, to be able to go into the meeting that we had been given by one of their shareholders. The idea was that we would be able to go in and ask questions, be able to speak at that meeting. However, when we got down there, myself, two farmers that were going to be going in, we were turned away at the gate, told that we didn't have the proper information to get in. And that's a big concern to me. What is it that about two farmers and an organizer from northern Minnesota that scares McDonald's so that they turned us away at the gate and weren't willing to talk to us about what's going on in the potato fields in the Midwest? That's huge. That's such a the, you know, multinational corporation isn't willing to have that conversation about sustainability. Yeah, that's very problematic. I'm interested in the situation where you were given permission to go to the shareholders meeting and then denied access. And you had you mentioned that you had two farmers with you and those farmers from the press release I see are Kathy Connell and Larry Heidkamp. What did they want to share with those shareholders? Sure. Um, Larry and, and Kathy and I really just wanted to ask McDonald's where they were moving. They had made a promise in 2009 to pressure their potato growers to move towards more sustainable practices and to cut their use of pesticides. We wanted to follow up and find out where they are at that promise um, because they hadn't followed through on that. And Kathy and Larry really wanted to offer, I think, too, other ideas on how to grow potatoes more sustainably. Both of them use organic methods and I think had some really good thoughts on how McDonald's might grow more sustainably using cover crops, using different uh, methods. So that's really what we were going with. And we also really wanted to find out or to encourage McDonald's to get RDO to tell us what is it that they're spraying on our fields. Because right now, RDO doesn't have to tell us what chemicals they're using, which seems thoroughly unfair to us. You know, we're breathing the stuff, we're drinking the stuff, we're eating the stuff, and they don't have to tell us what it is. We wanted to tell McDonald's that RDO needs to cut their use of pesticides. They need to move to more sustainable practices and we want them to fund a human and ecological health study on the areas being impacted. 
that's really the message that we're continuing to bring to McDonald's, to RDO. Those are the, the simple things that we want. We just want to have an honest conversation. We want them to take action towards more sustainable practices. Uh, that's really all that we've been looking for. It's interesting that you mentioned we just want to know what's being sprayed. As a consumer, we have a food label that tells us what's in our food. And the fact that these potatoes that will end up on our plate are being sprayed with chemicals, and we can safely assume that some of those residues are going to end up on the plate, as well as in our drinking water, we have a right to know what we're putting in our bodies and what we're putting in our families' bodies. So it would seem that releasing that information would be a simple consumer right to know. You would think so. And I think it's something that consumers need to be demanding. And I would really encourage people to go to our webpage, toxictators.org, and sign on to the petition there to pressure McDonald's to get their growers, particularly RDO and their other growers, to move in that direction. Mm -hmm. Have you contacted any attorneys to help you work to get this information? We have right at this point really been focused on the grassroots organizing, working with legislators, working, trying to work with RDO and trying to work with McDonald's as well. I think that the legal aspect is definitely something that we would consider, but we're hoping not to have to go that route. We're a small community organization and that's always a, a, a difficult one to go, but if McDonald's and RDO don't work with us, that may be something that we have to consider. Well, it would seem perfectly reasonable to me when we consider, you know, water is our most basic and critical nutrient. The fact that our water and our air and our food is being contaminated in such a way that our children are getting sick by a company that sells foods to a fast food company that says it's all about families and children seems to be a key take-home message here. Now, I do want to encourage, as you say, that we have consumers go to your website. It's simply toxictaters.org. You can sign up. There's also a Facebook page and a website where, you, can, as you mentioned, you can sign a petition. You can stay up to date. But I think there are some important action steps for people to take, and one of them is simply talking to our neighbors and maybe thinking twice before we consume a product that is making another population of children ill. We just have a minute left. Is there anything else that you want to pull out from your work to share with our listeners? Sure. I'd like to let folks know uh, we will be doing a national action this fall focused on McDonald's. If you're an individual or an organization that would like to get involved in that national action, please contact us again via our website, toxictators.org, or you can give us a call at 218 375 2600, and we want to encourage everyone everywhere to keep up the fight. Uh, tell us your stories, share your successes. We want to figure out how we can work together and help each other along. Uh, particularly in Minnesota, if you've been affected by RDO, we want to hear your story. More grassroots group. We depend on regular people who've decided that they've just had enough and they decide to stand up. When we stand up together, we're strong. So. Yeah. We just want to, to encourage everyone to, to get involved, and we can do this together. 
Well, I want to thank you so much, Amy Mondlock, for being my guest today. Amy is the first organizer working for the Toxic Taters Coalition. She is based in northern Minnesota, where much of the potatoes for McDonald's are grown and grown heavily with pesticides. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most of all, I want to thank you, Amy Monlock, for your work community organizing and protecting public health. And thank you. It was really great talking to you today.